You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Russell Banks is the author of many novels of fiction, including Continental Drift, The Sweet Hereafter, Lost Memory of Skin. His new collection of short stories is a permanent member of the family. Thank you for joining me, Russell. Well, thank you for having me on. Russell, this is such an amazing collection of stories and a beautiful, if unflattering, vision of America. I'd like Uh-oh. to... <laughs> I'd like you to talk a little bit about your sensibility as you approach your these stories, because this is a kind of a, a much grittier version of America, not all the way down in the sewers, but not up in the mansions either. No, that's true. But, you know, uh, I've been asked a question like that um, off and on. Why do you choose to write about such people, uh, people who are not really marginalized, but uh, who are struggling, who are mostly poor, whose lives are on a slightly downward slant rather than upward slant, the one we'd like to think our lives are on. And I try to point out that I'm really writing about the majority here. I'm writing about that 99% in a way, and, uh, and not about that 1%. So I don't feel as though I'm out there selecting people who are marginalized and exceptional and some kind of, of minority, but rather I'm really writing about most people, I think, and most people's lives in America today. I mean, the stories, for the most part, were written in the last um, year and a half or just before that, so they're really describing the world that we're all living in in this decade. That's, I think, what I like most about this book, is it really captures a perspective of life that I've encountered, I've seen, and I think more accurately than, than most. So let's talk a little bit about the deciding to write short stories. Uh, you, Your last novel was a nice, long, complicated novel. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you just sit down and decide to write short stories afterwards? Yeah, actually, I, I did. Uh, but, but, you know... In the past, years ago, I tended to um, write stories along the way while I was working on novels. And, oh, after every four or five years, I'd go through them and pull out the ones I wanted to keep and and bring them together into a little collection. But uh, in this case, I I wrote three novels in a row without writing any short stories over the last decade, actually since 2001. And that was the last book of stories I published. And, and I was kind of burnt out. I mean, there's a, there's a kind of exhaustion uh, if you write three novels that are kind of painful in some ways to write that requires a rest and a change of venue in a way. And so I just sat down when I finished Lost Memory of Skin and went back over my notes that I had been making over the previous decade. You know, every writer keeps a notebook in his pocket or pocket. And I had a dozen little paragraphs uh, that were just sketches or an image in a few cases or some exchanges of dialogue and so forth that I had, that I was able to pull out and say, you know, I'd like to develop that. I'd like to make that into a story. So I had 12 that I wanted to stick with and then sat down and for a year and a half wrote short stories that ended up being the 12 stories in this, in this collection. 
It was really an enormous relief for me. I, I, I think when you're writing short stories, you're using a different side of your brain than when you're writing novels. You have a very different relation to language, to form, and to music in a way. Uh, the music of language and, and the structure, the musical structures of form. It's closer to the part of your brain I think you use to write songs or write poetry than it is the part of your brain you use to write novels. At least it felt that way in a kind of almost phenomenological way. Uh, in many ways, you might consider this uh, like a Bob Dylan concept album. <laughs> yeah. That's not so bad, actually, because they were written more or less uh, within the same time frame. They reflect my life at this time more than my stories usually do, and they have uh, certain themes in common. I didn't realize in a couple of cases until people told me after the book was published, they said, you know, you have an awful lot of stories in here with dogs in them. And I thought, yeah, I guess I do. Now that you mention it, I look, and I think 10 of the 12 stories have a dog appearing, in some cases in a very major role. But that's because I think during this period I have two dogs that I adore and they're very much on my mind and they're a big part of my life. And so they ended up uh, in the uh, in the stories. But also I, I live half the time um, now in upstate New York in, in real rural America. Uh, and I should say also red America. I mean, we think of New York as a, as a, as a blue state. But in fact, uh, once you get north and get up into rural uh, New York, you're in Republican territory and oftentimes right wing territory. So the stories, half the stories seem to reflect that. And then the other six months of the year, I live in Miami in a real urban world, a very different world, you know, racially, um, politically, ethnically, linguistically, very different from uh, upstate New York. And half the stories seem to reflect that. So there's a kind of bipolarity to the book in a way. I think that has to do with the bipolarity of my life these days. You know, uh, I really like the the feel of these stories. And it's interesting to think about this book in terms of, as a, as a book, you have over the these uh, this dozen stories, you have as many characters as you have, as big a cast of characters as you would have in a novel, they're fleshed out yeah. in many ways as well as you would in a novel. And I think that it just struck me that that was a really interesting effect of writing the stories. Well, it was for me, but I know I think that there are short story writers who are primarily interested in character. And then there are writers who are primarily interested in plot. And then there are writers who are primarily interested in language. Not to the exclusion of, of these other aspects, but um, I, I suspect in my case that my dominant interest in writing stories has to do with character. And, and so at the center of each of these stories is at least one and sometimes two or three developed characters whose world is uh, is at the center of the story, um, an individual's world at the center of each of these stories, like former Marine or uh, Blue or any of these stories. You could say, oh, that's about that person who, you know, the former Marine or the woman who got trapped in the used car lot uh, at night and so on. One of the things I, I really loved about this, these stories is your sense of I guess the movement in the story, it's one thing that's really different from a, between a short story and a novel, is the sense of movement um, through the story itself, and especially in the way you can end a short story. You can end a short story in a way that you just cannot end a novel, period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, a novel can go on forever in some ways. 
I think in, in, with, for me, a, um, a story is usually a moment or a series of moments that are turning points that change a life so that you can say uh, this, the, the, the time frame of a story looks in two directions, tends to look back, what led up to this moment, and then forward or into the future, how the world would be different. You know, there's that, that, that old question, uh, how is this night different from all other nights? Well, a story kind of tries to answer that. Say, how is this moment or this hour or these few hours different from all other moments or hours or few hours? Few hours? So I think you do have a different relation to time with stories than you do with, um, with the novels. In a sense, you're standing a little bit outside time with a story, whereas a novel almost recreates the flow of time. So if you notice when you're reading a novel, you get 75 pages into it or so, and you can't remember how it began or where it began because you're in the flow of time, the way you are in your life. Whereas with stories, you almost have to remember the beginning when you get to the end so you can make sense of the end and of the story as a whole because the contrast between the beginning and the end is usually where the the meaning of the story arises. And, and two, I think that novels, when they end, tend to curl back into themselves, and mm-hmm. your stories tend to have like it's like we've been a, a skipping rock on the water, and the the final word, the final paragraph of the story, is often just this launch point. And I think it's mm-hmm. a really beautiful feeling for a reader, and as I say, very different from from a novel. Yeah, I, I feel the difference pretty strongly in the act of writing um, when I get down to the end of a story. Usually what one does in writing a short story is you spend the entire process eliminating um, alternative endings. You, with the beginning paragraph, the, uh, you have a dozens, you have hundreds of uh, possible, possible endings to the story. But each time you make a turn or write another sentence, you eliminate three or four of those until you finally get down to just two at the very closing paragraphs of a story. In some ways, that's the part of writing a short story I like the most, although it's the most difficult part. And I can really feel sort of the smoke coming out of my ears as I get down to those last two alternatives. I can go this way or I can go that way. And uh, whichever way I go, finally, is going to be have to um, be an expression of my real deepest belief about reality, in a sense, and about the truth. Um, so I have to ask that question of myself when I get down to those final two almost equal um, um, alternatives. You know, one of the things I think that's really interesting is the sense of... Uh, creating the sense of of tension and there's a story in here that involves a MacArthur grant and Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say too much about the particular story itself but I will say that you just maintain an absolutely uh, toe-curling sense of (laughs) terror throughout that story about with regards to the MacArthur grant and I thought it was very interesting your ability to do that and I'd like you to talk about maintaining tension you know ratcheting it up and Mm -hmm. keeping it so it's not uh, too high but you have those kind of uh, ebbs and flows yeah that's interesting that story in a way the situation isn't really a particularly intense uh, one uh, in as much as it's a dinner party story you know where 
six people get together and have dinner together. It is a, it's a kind of story you could make a play out of pretty easily. The central character is the is the one who is just one of MacArthur Grant, and he's going to go and tell it to his friends and and glorify himself and 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 uh, enjoy the the moment. And it starts to break down at a certain point. But I think you're right. I mean, there is tension in there, but it's hidden, and you don't pick up quite where it's coming from unless you're watching closely the relationship between the main character and his wife. And she is kind of lurking in the background, but clearly she is like separating herself from him to a certain degree. And you do wait for her to come to a realization of what she's doing, and you wait for him to figure it out, too, to see what's happening to his marriage, in a sense. So the stakes are pretty high, but they're not apparently high uh, until you get about halfway through the story, and then you begin to realize. As far as tension goes in a story, it's you know it's, it's it can be very simple. A character wants something and can't get it, and so you start to the character starts to figure out what's he going to do in order to get what he wants, and the stakes start to go up and you're watching it and reading the story and going along with him, and you don't want him to make a big mistake. You don't want him to screw it up. It's like that story, Christmas uh, Party, where the character goes to his ex-wife's Christmas party, and he's angry, but he doesn't quite know it, and you don't want him to mess up too much. You kind of sympathize with the guy, but you know he's angry, and you know he's likely to explode, and there's something bad going to happen. You could feel it, and... And the story kind of builds over that feeling, I think. Uh, There's a a lot of divorce in this book, uh, a lot of unhappy marriages. Uh, I don't... Did I encounter anybody who was was happily married for their whole life? I don't think so. Not for their whole life, no, but some of the marriages survived terrible stress and pressure. But I was, you know, I look at the stories and and I say, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm I'm writing about uh, in many ways, the you know the profound, deep uh, need we have for for family, for marriage. I mean, the title is meant to be a little bit ironic. I think a permanent member of the family, title of the book. But there is a, a, an inherent conflict, I think, between our deep need for family and the kind of intimacy and support that it provides us. Family, including marriage especially at a period when we're going through this radical extension of our idea of what family is and marriage is. On the one hand, and against that and in conflict with that, is the the inherent fragility and instability of family and marriage and the difficulty of maintaining those relationships against all the the pressures from outside and, and from inside as well over time. And so a lot of the stories really are tracking family relations, marital relations, domestic, sexual, and and other relations, parental relations with children, and so on, over time, and the kind of of stress and pressure, and and ultimately, too, uh, the kind of of deep and and, and, and lasting satisfaction and pleasure we get from, from these institutions. You know, a while back, I started thinking about what is called genre fiction and the different kinds of genres. And I think that we are arguably in the midst of the creation of what will be seen in the future as a new genre of fiction, which I would call the economic genre, 
where uh, just like science fiction pins on some element of invented science or fantasy and has some notion of the fantastic economic fiction pin pinwheels around some notion of the economy and and I think that's really at the center of a lot of these stories. Yeah, I think you're right. The people in the stories are dealing with enormous shifts in the economic forces that govern our lives and control our lives to such an extraordinary degree and and you know there's a, a characters who would, guy was just he points out he would let go from the auction house he was working at, like, as like a helium-filled balloon that floats up, uh, is let go, and then floats up into the sky. He feels that kind of sort of detachment and, 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 and from the world. Um, they're all under a certain amount of economic pressure, and it's unstable, the world uh, economically that they're in. And I think that, you know, I'm, it isn't that I'm necessarily particularly insightful or, or, or sensitive to these facts, but uh, they sure do surround us day to day, uh, especially in this decade. So I, I go back to what I was saying earlier: having you know, like written these stories more or less together over a short, relatively short period of time, bound to end up reflecting um, our time and uh, the economic realities uh, of our time. So I, I think they do do that. I don't know whether that's a new genre or not, however. But I do know that you, the hard to write fiction today in America without uh, confronting these uh, economic realities. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if anybody wants a history of the last 10 years, they can punt every work of nonfiction that's been published, read this book, and get a much better picture of what things were like in America. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, I, I hope you're right. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. And one of the things that interests me, too, is in this book, you can have your step into the your characters, either in the third person or sometimes in the first person, and have them provide insights into themselves, into others, into just what makes us human. And there's this kind of a hand-in-glove effect where they're doing it in the story, you're doing it for the reader, and I think it's an interesting kind of uh, sets up a... a a reverb chamber, a Phil, Phil Spector reverb uh, style reverb for for your stories to give them a, a sense of uh, a depth, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what fiction does at its best, more I believe than any other art form, whether literary or or not, is that it it presents us with and allows us to share the subjective experience of another human being. It really is an intimate and and um, and profound sharing experience, and and so I mean I, that's what I read fiction for. That's what happens when I read fiction. It's, it's, if it's good fiction, that I basically am able to experience what someone else can experience in their secret private life, their most subjective life, and and I love that about fiction, both as a reader of it and as a writer of it. Um, and hope that, that, that my stories and my novels actually provide that same kind of, of, um, of experience. It's how our lives finally become enlarged is through um, sharing the experience of other human beings. And, um, and in that sense, I, I really do believe that fiction is the most social, uh, socially connecting of all the, the art forms. And it does do it on a most fundamentally subjective way. Um, we don't have much access to our fellow human beings' interior lives. 
the limits of you know language and conversation and social interaction are come up against them. We come up against them pretty quickly. Put fiction in a way sort of breaks through that those limitations and and takes us beyond uh, those limitations in a way that nothing else does. Uh, I would agree. It's uh, the most in- intimate art form, and I believe that. And, and I think too that the the best fiction, and I would say these stories uh, come to that uh, come to that level. Uh, they create the experience you create, the reading experience. Uh, you can, if it's really good, you can go back and visit that experience in pretty much the same way you could visit one of your own memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you hope that the writer, the author, has been able to uh, construct it in a coherent and, and narrative form and, and uh, that the language is sufficiently interesting to engage your, your ears and your, uh, your mind. And that there's a you know an opening up of of a, of a larger world available there, and, um, and I, you know I hope that's been a, a possible accomplishment with these stories. Uh, certainly, what I aspire to. There's a you do a nice thing too with these stories. There's a good modulation in terms of the tone. Uh, some of them, although overall, if you look at what's going on, the picture of America that we get at this book is not a happy one. <laughs> to be honest. On, on the other hand, you work through this with humor, with love, and with joy. And I'm thinking uh, Blue is a, is a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say that's one of those stories where, boy, you just don't see that ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the case of that story, when you get down to the word at the end, you know it's only one or two things can happen at the very end. <laughs> Either one of them is logical, so which one is it going to be? Uh, it's not a surprise ending, I don't think, or it's certainly not a trick ending. But I understand what you're saying. Uh-huh. And that one of the things I, I myself like about that story is that it gets kind of funny at the times. So, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous situation this woman is in, trapped in a, in a, in a used car lot at night with a vicious uh, guard dog trying to keep her from, from escaping. And she's so she's just put in this terrible plight. But it's also comical and and then when that kid shows up outside to try to help her and then the T V crew arrives and things like that start happening, one thing piling on top of another. I hope that it's funny. It's meant to be funny. There are a number of spots in there where I think things happen and different stories that are a little ridiculous and funny, just as as in life. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to read this. Now, the story Searching for Veronica, I think, really speaks to the nature of story and the import of story to us as human beings because we define ourselves by stories. We are the stories we tell. I tell, will tell you my story about myself, and that's who I am. Right, right. And if it's in the case of, I mean, that, that Searching for Veronica story is, is very complicated one in terms of its format um, because it's it's a story told to one of the characters and you're overhearing most of it is overhearing what this man the character is hearing being told to him by a woman met in a bar in a, in a or a restaurant in a, in a in an airport and she's telling a story and over time you gradually realize that wait a minute maybe this story isn't exactly true or maybe it's not what she thinks it is and you you start to question it a little bit the same way that the man who's listening to the story starts to question it wonder if how much of this is really true and he's both seduced by the story and taken into it the way the reader is 
but he's also forced after a time to begin to question his own, you know, sense of reality here. And so, in, in a sense, the story uh, is very much about, I'm not ruining the story, I hope it's uh, for anybody, is it, but uh, that it's very much about um, how uh, addicts, people, who, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, addicts kind of create a reality that we listeners start to enter into. And before we know it, we're sharing their reality, their distorted reality. And it's a difficult thing sometimes to break away from, to reassert your own sense of reality, especially the better the story, the more difficult it is. You're you're right, in a sense, that story is about storytelling, but it's also about the storytelling of people whose sense of reality is distorted by addiction. Uh, Listen at your own peril. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, as I read these stories, I was thinking that you, I I believe that you see Miami to a certain extent, your your summer, your your summer stay as, uh, it's almost like America in a pressure cooker. (laughs) Miami is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, well it is, it it is in many ways, it's, it's the future. Uh, right here in front of us, um, and I, I find that really fascinating because, as a as a writer, it's a, to me it's the most interesting city on the continent, and uh, and I love it. And I've been coming here since I was 18 years old, and, and now I've settled here. Yeah, this is where um, all the you know where the intermingling of race and 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 class and and languages and so forth are all you know at at uh, at high heat, and the economy here is the same kind of speculative, barely legitimate economy that's come to take over and control our our our, our country. The culture here is a, is that wonderful to me, wonderful mix. Um, I, I'm I'm very happy to have uh, been able to to settle here. It's the uh, if America is coffee, Miami is the espresso. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. But, you know, it's a Cuban copy, too. <laughs> it's just a big mix of that as well. Um, you know, I, I was thinking, too, that um, as, a, as a collection, I'd like you to just talk about putting this together. You write each story in separately, but once you start putting them together, do you start seeing the connections, and do you— do the stories as you—do you revise once you, when you put them together as a collection— you know, I didn't revise them much after they were together. I did a small tweaking and so forth in the editing process. We went through that together, my publisher. But but putting them together uh, was some, was a careful process and one I, I, I thought long and hard over. And uh, I arranged them the way I think probably my wife's a poet, probably the way a poet arranges the poems in a book, you know, a collection of poems written over time. And you you you're doing it almost in a musical fashion. You 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 lay out a certain melody, and then you want to play back against it, and then lay out a third uh, kind of, of melody and play back against that. You don't want to repeat, repeat, repeat. Certainly, and you also want to vary the length of the story so that there's a long one followed by a relatively short one, and then maybe one not so long. And so on. So it's it's a kind of almost an orchestration of the stories. It feels That's that what way. I was going to say. It, it felt very nicely orchestrated. 
um, and but, woven yeah. together. There, one of the phrases we encounter in here is snowbird. So I, and we encounter a couple of characters who call themselves snowbirds. So I'd like you to talk about what that phrase means and what it means to you. Yeah, well, literally, of course, it's it's a description, uh, a word used to describe people like myself, in a sense, who who uh, migrate north and south like birds, south in the winter and then north in the summer, and keep moving. So it's it's actually a useful metaphor to carry out into a short story, and several of the stories you write do describe, one is literally called, uh, that's the name of the title of the story, Snowbirds, to describe a kind of movement in life, a restlessness maybe even, um, an American kind of restlessness where you think if you change your residence, you move to another place, your life will change. You'll become a different person. And that story, Snowbirds, one called Snowbirds itself, kind of uh, brings that to the foreground where the, the, the it's a story about two women, one in particular, who's tempted to, to follow her friend to the to Miami uh, from upstate New York, because her friend's life seems to have changed dramatically and for the better, and she's looking at that and applying that to her own life. And the temptation to become a snowbird um, is is in front of her. So it, it's 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 like that, and I think it's pointing to that word and and, and that activity really is pointing to a kind of American dislocation, really. We don't think of Europeans as having the same kind of shift. Six months in England, let's say, or Norway, six months on the Mediterranean. It's really kind of an American phenomenon, although some people are telling me that Canadians are doing it more and more, too, (laughs) spending six months in one place and six in another. But there's a little bit of of, uh, homelessness that goes with it. I, I can speak about that on a personal level. I know that for myself, you know, up until three years ago, I really lived pretty much in one place up in the north in upstate New York for many years, and only barely part time in in uh, in Miami. But now that I, I'm half and half, it's kind of funny. Oddly, um, uh, I feel oddly without a home in a sense. I have two homes, and therefore, in a sense, I have none. You know what I mean? It's an interesting and peculiar state of mind. I think that some of the stories reflect that uh, that state of mind. I I think they do, but I also would suggest that you have a home in your prose. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> I like to think so, and that probably is true. I mean, I, 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 at home in my uh, in the fictional world. <laughs> well, the 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 prose is is beautiful in this book. It's very nice. It uh, it's. As fits the subject, it doesn't call attention to itself, but it's often poetic and beautiful in its descriptive ability and its ability to evoke character, which I think is often underestimated. Well, you know, I have often felt very consciously or deliberately that what I want when I'm writing is to be able to see what I'm writing, literally to see it, to visualize it, and to hear it when people speak, the sense of trying to induce in myself visual and auditory hallucinations. And and so I need prose that'll make that possible, that will allow me to see things and to hear things. Uh, in dialogue is when you hear things most clearly. And so I think for the reader, uh, it's a similar kind of experience. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm creating that experience for myself as a writer, and I do feel as though if I can't see it, then it's a problem 
for me in the language as a writer. I'm getting in my own way somehow. The, 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 the language isn't revealing the world, it's hiding the world, concealing the world. And so I have to stop and, and go back and revise and rewrite. But Because I want, not just for the reader, but I want for myself to be able to see and hear the world that I'm trying to create. That's part of the—that's, I think, what makes your stories such a, a, a visceral and dreamlike simultaneously, although the two seem contradictory. I think they're not. Uh, reading experience. Uh, t- tell me a little bit. Are you working on a new novel? Yes, I'm, I, I've started a new novel. I, and it's best to, when you finish a book to quickly move to the next one so that you don't have too much invested in in the response to the one you just finished. So I, yeah, I, I've started a novel, and I have no idea really where it's going to go. I'm just trying to get beyond page 61 at the moment. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you about it and reading it, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. I hope so, too. All right. I've been speaking with Russell Banks. His newest book is a collection of short stories titled A Permanent Member of the Family. Thank you for joining me, Russell. Well, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed it. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.